ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed universal heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, And I guess, Brett, there's not a lot of big, big news for Arizona athletics, which is probably a good thing. Like, we're going to talk softball. We're going to talk baseball. Moving well, Baseball's moving into their postseason. Softball's moving further into their postseason. We'll have some good conversation about that later in the show. But there are some things that have come out regarding different programs over the last week. We could probably start off with, let's just get the one negative out of the way. When we last had Wildcat Radio 2.0, we were like, hey, Jordan Brown, if you want to come back to Arizona, that would be great. Well, that, that dream didn't last long. He transferred to, he announced his transfer to Louisiana Lafayette. So Jordan Brown, no longer a possibility to be an Arizona Wildcat next season. Well, so, so endeth my dream of him coming back and filling that gap in the skill set I was hoping for. But, you know, I don't really feel any ill will towards Jordan Brown. I wish him well. I wish he would have stayed at Arizona, but, you know, that that hole in the roster remains, Adam. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was kind of one of those where when he put his name in the transfer portal, it was a few weeks after Tom Lewis was hired, after he got to work with him. So it's like, that was interesting. Like, what didn't he like? Because all these other players were like, yeah, we'll stick around. And you felt like Jordan Brown would have a chance to play some minutes, maybe not huge minutes, maybe not starters minutes, which would help to explain why he's transferring to Louisiana, why he's joining the Ragin' Cajuns, where I guess his dad played there, so there's some family history with the school with the program but obviously you don't necessarily make that move from nevada to arizona to ull um who you know they're in the sunbelt they're a decent sunbelt team but they haven't been in the tournament since 2014 like you don't go there because you're looking to play on the highest stage you go there because you're going to be comfortable and or you're going to get lots of shots yeah he's i mean he's probably going to be the guy on that roster as a former five-star uh, you know, top recruit. Um, I guess, I guess that's the, you know, that's what he's looking for. And I, like you said, there's the dad connection. So maybe he has some kind of emotional tie there, but you know, I think, I think he's going to end up probably putting up pretty good numbers because he's, uh, it's a little different level of competition. He's going to mm-hmm. get all those touches and be probably the focal point of the offense. So good luck to Jordan Brown, Arizona still, if you believe with what Brett's feeling on the roster is, and I don't necessarily disagree, Arizona still needs a forward or another big they could bring off the bench who they can count on for some production, for some points, for some rebounds, something that Jordan Brown gave them last season, probably would have given them next season, but the roster spot is still empty, and Tommy Lloyd has to worry about that. Um, in better news, Brett, we can kind of stick with so the basketball court. Adia Barnes? The new contract coming, the Board of Regents set to vote on that. Tommy Lloyd's contract also. Those are going to come up over the next week or so. Obviously, Adia Barnes, she had gotten like a contract extension right before, or she agreed to the extension right before the tournament, then had that tournament run, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, no, we got to gotta pay a little bit more, especially after like Baylor came calling, and you realize that for a coach of her caliber, you're going to need to pay to keep her, even though she's an alum. So now it's set that she's going to, 
uh, earned more than a million bucks a season from the beginning, a million in 2021, 22, 1.1 million the next year, 1.2 the following season, 1.25, and then 1.3 million. So the average is 1.17 million per season, of course, with higher buyouts now, just in case she does decide to leave. Well, and, and don't forget the, the little known clause in there, Adam, that officially declares her queen of Tucson for the length of the contract. <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, I think she could make she could decree that one herself. Like, she, it doesn't she have to be in a contract. Title, yeah, she claimed that title by fiat. <laughs> <laughs> she pretty much did. But that's, you know, it, it's it's interesting because air, when you're Arizona, when you think basketball and obviously most people think of men's basketball. You don't expect coaches to leave. Now, Lute Olson had a chance during his tenure to go to Kentucky a couple of times. That came up. He stayed in Tucson. Sean Miller early on flirted with Maryland, and everybody was like, wait, what? And that was after that Elite Eight run, his second season with Derek Williams and that team. But this does happen. Unless you are the elite of the elite who can pay the absolute highest amount <laughs> that that sport offers, there's going to be a chance if you have a great coach, they're going to come calling. And you do everything you can. And yeah, Arizona being the... The school that Dia went to, like, of course, that's going to help in keeping her. But you still, you can't rely on that. You can't just be like, oh, well, she's an alum, so we can just kind of lowball her. No, I mean, you may not have to pay her as much as she could make at, say, a Baylor, you know, or a Tennessee or a, I mean, whatever, like the high-level programs. So you may not have to pay her that much, but you still got to pay her the amount that shows that, yeah, you understand how great a coach she is and that you're just not relying on the fact that she's an alum to stay. Yeah, and I, and I think we've talked about it in the past, like, if if the pre-COVID NIT run and everything that's happened since then, not even from just an on-the-court perspective, but in the community and exciting the fan base perspective shows up, you know, even if you go hire a great coach, I'm not sure they're going to put butts in seats as well as Adia Barnes is going to for the foreseeable future with her connection to the university and the, the momentum she has, even if the product on the court is the same. Mm-hmm. And that makes it a lot easier for Arizona to, you know, up that payment. Uh, pay her a little more what she's worth. Yeah, they they saw the results, not just on the court, but in the community where the fans were showing up. And you have to believe, and granted, regular season is a regular season, and like the NIT was the NIT, that is a postseason, but they're going to draw. Like they absolutely will draw. People will go to watch high quality basketball, and you see some of the recruits she's brought in, the talent. It's the machine is rolling right now, Arizona women's basketball. Adia Barnes is the leader of that. So you do everything you can to keep her. And there may come a time where she decides that's it. I mean, after, you know, seven championships and, you know, whatever it is, she might be like, yeah, there's nothing more I can prove at Arizona, you know. But (laughs) until that time comes, (laughs) you do everything you can to keep her around, to keep her happy. And she doesn't she hasn't shown any indication that she's not happy. Of course, she loves it down there. But, you know, she's been such a breath of fresh air for that program, for Tucson, for the U of A, where, yeah, you you. You keep with that because like her leaving anytime soon would just be devastating. And Arizona certainly showed her the love and good on that. The other contract, Tommy Lloyd, the new coach who hasn't done anything that Adia Barnes has done, like other than do a jump ball at the spring game. Um, nothing too crazy there. Getting paid about what Sean Miller was going to get paid if he was still the coach. But there was a change added, which had to do with sanctions against the program. Basically means if Arizona is sanctioned with such as like a postseason ban, loss of scholarships, restrictions on recruiting days, whatever it is, that extra years could be added to Tommy Lloyd's contract to kind of make up for that. Which, if you're looking at it, that was kind of the one thing you're like, why would Tommy Lloyd take this job if he's worried about sanctions? Well, if he's worried about sanctions, it won't cost him a year on his deal. Like he's not going to... 
like, I don't want to say loser because they'd still play that season. But you know what I'm saying. Just like it would not yeah. count against him not making the postseason in terms of the contract length. He's not being held accountable for any potential sins of, of the prior administration. That's a much better way to say it. No, it does. It does. Uh, you know, related to that, just the way the NCAA works. If life was fair, they would do that for eligibility for players on the team that weren't around for when any allegations happened too. But that would require the NCAA to be fair to players. Well, which... I don't. I don't think they'd let DeAndre Ayton <laughs> play for U of A again anyway. Like Raleigh Elkins I mean, isn't I mean, allowed guys back. On the current roster. Adam. <laughs> well, that that's that's a whole separate can of worms and discussion of the NCAA because I don't know what you can do, right? You know, like you end up only thing you do is either punish coaches who can get fired, or you're punishing players who had nothing to do with what happened before. It's there's no, or you could just you know pay players, allow for that. That that might be the thing you can do <laughs> because that's, otherwise you that's do crazy it. talk. <laughs> but and you could argue though Arizona going with Tommy Lloyd was kind of a punishment. I don't. I think Tommy Lloyd's going to be good. But maybe without the threat of sanctions, even if they did get rid of Sean Miller, which who knows, you know, the last few seasons if they go the way they did without the FBI stuff. But that was the reason they were only getting the highest level coach they could get was a time load is because the threat of sanctions, because of the threat of postseason bans and such like that, where a lot of coaches are like, I'm not going to get involved in that mess. So in some ways, maybe the air, like the NCAA did find a way roundabout to punish Arizona. I mean, we've talked about it with this cloud hanging over them and like nothing was decided where it's like, okay, that's just there. And until it's gone, Arizona can't fully move forward. Getting rid of Miller, hiring Lloyd was a big step, but the threat of sanctions and bans and all that still remains. Yeah. In a, in a very NCAA way, maybe they got their man in terms of penalizing Sean Miller <laughs> and Arizona without, you know, even if nothing comes of the IARP, but uh, it makes sense from from Tommy Lloyd's contract perspective. You know, I'm sure that was something that he and his agent wanted to negotiate to make sure he kind of buys himself more breathing room if he gets handicapped by anything that comes down. Uh, and that makes sense from a program stability standpoint as well, uh, as long as Tommy Lloyd isn't a complete and utter disaster as a coach, which I don't think anybody has that expectation. No, no. And it's, it will be weird, though, because obviously like, if he coaches this next season, there's no sanctions, nothing happens. And then the IRP comes out with their thing. It's like Arizona's good this season. Then it's like the Tommy Lloyd era gets started. It's going well. And then they go to the bands like, oh, that's like the new coach has already had a season. What are you, what are you doing? They're now another year removed from the previous. But ah, that, well, we'll see if that happens, right? That's all hypotheticals. And, but it's the one thing that's still hanging over Arizona basketball. It's nothing to do with Tommy Lloyd, but he knew what he was walking into when he took the job. Um, one other news thing here that came out over the we're recording on uh, Wednesday the 2nd is that Arizona foot Arizona Stadium for football is set to have full capacity this fall. Insert all of the joke here. <laughs> <laughs> if they could sell out the stadium, like if enough fans want to pay money to see them, they can sell out the stadium. They can fill it up. I mean, I just re-upped my season tickets because uh, you know, I love I'm a glutton for punishment and a <laughs> diehard Arizona fan. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, I kind of half expected that. I think most fans probably with the, the positive trends in, in COVID infections with the success of vaccinations it makes sense. Um, you know, hopefully nothing goes awry where it limits that. Uh, if, and if it does from a COVID perspective, Arizona will be able to quickly adjust to two thirds capacity max. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And this comes on the heels of them announcing similar stuff for baseball. 
you know, high corporate field, which we're going to be talking about baseball in just a little bit, actually. But they're allowing fans to, and you don't know how this will affect things like basketball just because basketball is indoors, and obviously football and baseball for Arizona are outdoors. But it certainly does seem like a step in the right direction, and if things keep trending the way they are, then you have to think that maybe they won't be selling out McHale Center, but they will have a good amount of fans there and actually a bit of a home court advantage that they were lacking last season. I do... I will say in forever with Arizona hosting the Territorial Cup game last season in football, it's not why they lost, but I think they got hosed having to host that game and having it count as a rivalry game with no fans in the stands. You know, even the worst Arizona teams, when it's a full stadium, the energy of the Territorial Cup, they've competed. You know, they've had different games. So, like, it shouldn't count, but now ASU basically gets back to back home field advantage games. And I do not like that. And I'll even take it a step further, Adam. How much. financial impact to an already cash strapped uh, athletic department is do you lo- like lose by not having fans in the stands for that game that is like yeah. your one game you're for sure going to sell out every year uh, it's not it's it's not an insubstantial amount of money especially when everybody is taking pay cuts and you're you know still running massive deficits so it it shows up in a couple of ways but say lovey well, had there been fans in that stadium, Arizona might have lost by only 35 as opposed to 63. That's all I'm saying. Might have is doing a lot of yes. uh, a lot of work in that sentence. A lot of work in that <laughs> sentence. But, but that's that'll do it for our little bit of news. When we come back, Arizona baseball marches into the postseason as one of the favorites in college, but also not a heavy favorite in their region. Let's talk about it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0, and we are joined by Brian Peterson of azdesertswarm.com. Brian, thanks for joining us because we've been following Arizona baseball, of course, but you seem like the guy who knows Arizona baseball. So welcome to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thank you guys for having me. Um, first question, obviously, Arizona goes into this tournament number five overall seed. They've been pretty damn good most of the year, Pac-12 champs and everything. Just the expectations are probably as high for this team as they've been going into the postseason, right? Because even when they made it to the championship game a handful of years ago, I don't think they were expected to go that far. This year, they've been so good, and they have expectations following them into the tournament. That That's definitely correct. In 2016, when uh, Jay Johnson was in his first year, he inherited a strong team. Uh, from Andy Lopez, but nobody thought that they would have the capability to go that far, and they had to do it on the road. They they were 38 and 20, something to that effect, at the end of the regular season, somewhere in the middle of the pack in the Pac-12, and ended up going to Louisiana Lafayette as the number two seed for a regional, and beat Lafayette twice in that regional to get out of there, and then had to go to Mississippi State, which has an enormous home field advantage with a massive crowd and managed to win a series there to get to go to Omaha and then ended up playing eight games there coming out of the loser's bracket, going to the championship series and basically being a hit away from winning a national title. But none of that was really expected. 
And then 17 was a team that had high expectations because it brought back a fair number of those guys. And though it made the tournament, it tailed off toward the end of the season. Then 18 and 19, more than anything, it was a matter of no pitching whatsoever to speak of. And so 20 had strong expectations. Jay Johnson has said that was an Omaha team and that it got cut short and canceled because of COVID really was disappointing for some of their really strong guys like Austin Wells, who ended up being a first-round pick uh, for the Yankees, and Matthew Dyer, who's in the Met system. This team is stacked. It's probably got the best talent that he has had at his disposal, and they've been good the whole year. They've, they've really been, other than this past weekend, losing one of the games to Dixie State, the, the non-conference opponent, they, they haven't had any hiccups where they've lost games they were supposed to win. Yeah, so Brian, I know uh, Arizona's getting to host their uh, the, the regional in Tucson, which is a nice home field advantage for them for a couple of reasons. But I'd, I'd love for you to kind of talk about their their opponents in that uh, in that regional. I think it's Oklahoma State, uh, Grand Canyon, and UC Santa Barbara. Uh, can you talk about those teams and what to expect as an Arizona fan when you're facing them potentially? Sure. Now we'll start with Grand Canyon, which is their opponent on Friday night. Uh, Grand Canyon got the four seed in this regional uh, after winning the the WAC regular season and conference title. This is their first ever trip to the NCAA tournament. They've had close calls in 18 and 19 uh, since they've become eligible moving up from Division II. Uh, Arizona's actually played them twice this year, splitting. They went to Phoenix in April and lost a game in 10 innings on a walk-off home run. That was actually part of Arizona's one and only three-game losing streak this season. Mm. And since then, they've won, uh, I believe it's 18 of 21 games or 19 of 22 games. And then during that run, Grand Canyon came down to Tucson and Arizona blew them out. Both of those were were Tuesday night games, though, and it's hard to take too much stock in that because nobody uses their best starting pitchers during the middle of the week. They saved them for the Pac-12, for the conference slate. So Arizona hasn't seen Grand Canyon's two best pitchers. They've got a kid named Pearson Ole, who I believe has seven complete games this year. But that that needs to be uh, put in context. In the WAC, they are doing four-game conference series. And on Saturdays, they're doing doubleheaders. So a lot of times he was throwing the uh, one end of those doubleheaders. And so he was throwing seven-inning complete game but he goes deep still and, and and then they have a second pitcher who's almost as good as he is so while Arizona knows what they're going to be dealing with from the hitting side they haven't experienced those pitchers so uh, I don't know how much you can take from those those previous matchups the the other matchup the first game that'll be at one o'clock on Friday is between number two seed Oklahoma State and number three seed UC Santa Barbara Oklahoma State could have been a number one seed somewhere. They were not one of the 20 schools that were considered for hosting before it got cut down to 16 because midway through the season, I want to say in, in April, uh, they were at risk of not even making the tournament. They had so many injuries, uh, mostly to their pitching staff, that they, uh, I believe they, they only won maybe two games during a three-weekend span in Big 12. But all their guys are starting to come back. They're, they've got their depth. They've got all of their quality, and they, they've been one of the hottest teams in the country. 
They made the Big 12 championship game, losing to TCU after beating Texas, who's the number two overall seed along the way. Uh, They're a perennial program. They're one of the five or six teams that actually have more NCAA tournament appearances than Arizona. I think this is their 47th, whereas Arizona is 40th, and I believe they've made more College World Series appearances than Arizona. Arizona's at 17. Oklahoma State may be around 20. They've only won it one time, but they get there a lot. And that includes 2016 when Arizona was there. Arizona actually faced them three times in Omaha, losing in their second game and then having to beat them twice to advance out of their bracket to get to the championship series. So there's some familiarity with the coaches, but there's no players that are around. It's the same coaches sides. The same goes with Santa Barbara, which finished second in the Big West. Their coach is the same coach from when Santa Barbara was at the College World Series in 2016, and Arizona actually beat them in its first elimination game. So it's funny the way this works out. All three teams, Arizona has at least some familiarity in person with how they work, not so much the personnel, but the coaches and the game planning and all of that, which which speaks to how deep and tough this regional is. And uh, I believe there's a, a contest going on with D1Baseball.com where you can – a bracket challenge. And the preliminary numbers had Arizona only at about 47, 48% of votes to win their regional with Oklahoma State at about 46. They were one of only two regional hosts that I believe is not considered – uh, to, to not have a majority of the votes at that point. So that just shows you how strong this region is. Yeah, and that's what it looks like. Like you, you break down these teams, and it's like every one of them you can make a case for why they could beat Arizona, right? Like GCU has an ace pitcher, and they've beaten the Wildcats. Oklahoma State obviously is one of the hottest teams in college baseball. I, if I remember right, like the RPIs in this region are pretty insane. <laughs> like It seems like Arizona got a bad draw, I guess is what I'm getting at. Is that kind of perception, or is that just how it is when you are – you know, you're in the tournament. There's going to be good teams in the tournament with you. You're not going to have an easy region. But does it seem like Arizona got maybe a tougher one than maybe they deserved? Um, I don't know about the deserving part. It's A lot of it has to do with geography. Um, when it comes to those number four seeds, uh, they can be a crapshoot because those are from the one-bid leagues. And it just made sense to have Grand Canyon go to a regional that was close. There was no sense in sending Grand Canyon to Gainesville, Florida, when there's a regional right down the road. Yeah. It's just like Nevada, the uh, Mountain West champion, is going to Palo Alto for the Stanford regional because it's the closest one. And I believe, uh, and you're seeing that with a lot of the teams in the South and Southwest, it's teams from the Northwest, or excuse me, the Northeast and the Upper Midwest where there's no regional that they get thrown all over the place, like Fairfield. Is, is in Austin, Texas. And Central Connecticut State, I believe, ended up in, uh, they may be in Austin as well. So those ones get thrown around, and they're trying to be as regional as possible with the exception of the teams from the Northeast and the Midwest. So Oklahoma State, was they, they weren't going to go to uh, TCU or Texas or Texas Tech because those are from the same conference. So Arizona ended up being effectively the the closest one that they would go to. It's just like Oregon State is a very good team, and they ended up going – they had to get farmed out because there wasn't something close to them that they could go to. They weren't going to put them in Oregon's regional or Stanford's regional because of Pac-12 
similarities. So they had to send them somewhere away, and so they end up getting pushed further out. So it's just kind of the way it worked out. All right, we're joined by Brian Peterson, AZ Deserts Forum, breaking down Arizona baseball. And the way you talk about, okay, now I don't feel like Arizona got a tough draw, right? Like they're a good team. They're a really good team. They're going to have to beat other good teams. Might as well beat some of them at home in Tucson. And boy, it sounds like, too, listening to Jay Johnson, his press conferences, this basically the entire season, he has been supremely confident in this bunch. Like, what is it? Calls this five-seed validation. I know before even the last series, like, they should be a top-eight seed, no problem, right? Like, this is a guy who believes in this team. I know he's always been a confident guy, but having been around this program, do you sense a little bit of extra confidence in this group because the pitching is better than it's been in a while, and obviously the bats are still there, like, that he really does believe that this is a team that can go the distance? Oh, no doubt. And it really does begin and end with the pitching, and that's been the biggest change for Arizona. Uh, He referred to his offense from the 2019 team as an Oklahoma offense, Oklahoma football offense, but then he also referred to the pitching as an Oklahoma football defense. (laughs) And anybody who's watched Big 12 football knows that, you know, those are shootout games. And that season in 2019, they actually won the final 10 games of the regular season but it wasn't enough to get them into the field. And they weren't just winning those games. They were winning like 14 to five, 16 to seven. They were just blowing teams out and they could give up runs because their offense was so good. But he knew he needed to get better in the pitching. And while that, a lot of that has to do with recruiting and getting in better guys, he also needed somebody to control and, and work on those pitchers. And it was a godsend that Oregon State decided not to make Nate Yeske the head coach of the baseball team after Pat Casey retired and they went with an interim coach in 2019. They passed him over for an alum uh, that had been in the Mariners uh, organization as a coach. And so Yeske was essentially a free agent and Arizona was able to poach him, pay him big money as an assistant coach. I mean, he's barely making less than what Jay Johnson makes as a head coach but he comes with a great pedigree. He had been there for 11 years, produced a lot of pro pitchers, was part of the 2018 team that won a national title, and the the work he has done to fix some of these pitchers has been phenomenal. The, the, The last two months of the season, some of Arizona's best relief pitchers are guys who've been with the program for a couple years who, as even as recently as early this season, couldn't be trusted on to throw strikes. And then you have a guy like Gil Luna, who has had amazing stuff in his time at Arizona, but he had had one appearance the first two months of the season where he gave up like two runs with like a couple walks in a third of an inning and then didn't pitch for another month or so. Then he went 19 scoreless innings of relief, wow. striking out like... 30 guys and and this is a lefty throwing in the nine in the mid 90s and with pinpoint stuff a great pickoff move and this is all because of Yeski. He, he built confidence in these guys he basically told them don't be afraid to throw strikes and have the ball put into play because our offense is good enough we can win games 10 to 5 but if you're walking three guys and then forced to throw strikes, then all the free passes. The walks are way down. The strikeouts are way up. This team already has uh, more strikeouts as a pitching staff than the 2016 team, which ended up playing, I think, like 73 games that season. That team had some pitchers on it, too. Had a couple of aces, I remember. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, Bobby Dahlbeck was good. You you had good good pitchers on that. Yes. So 
but these guys, and it and it's across the board. Um, the starters, the the two main starters, both get uh, do well with strikeouts. The long guys that had been starters early in the season that may be starting games here in the postseason, the way things work, they all. I mean, there's Arizona was averaging, I think, in 2019 about seven seven and a half strikeouts per nine innings, and now it's like nine and a half. Huh. And that may not seem like a lot, but that's that's almost a 20% increase. So that's, it's pretty significant. And that's what has been the big difference. They're always going to have hitters. Um, he and his other assistants are so good at, at developing hitters and working in a park like they have with these massive dimensions. It teaches guys to take advantage of this big field rather than trying to knock everything out of the park. So they're always going to have hitters. But the fact that they now have pitchers to go with it has been the real difference. So, Brian, you, you kind of already touched on a few of those guys, I think. But for the for the average Arizona fan who spent the last few months searching their DirecTV in vain for Pac-12 Network to not uh, to no avail and finding a, an ability to watch Arizona baseball the last couple months, uh, who are some of the other players that uh, Arizona fans should be looking for as they're going into the postseason? Well, on the, the hitting side, it, 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 to give you an example of how stacked Arizona is offensively, it nominated eight of its nine members of its starting lineup for the all-conference team. And the only reason it didn't do the ninth one is because it didn't have anybody that really had enough at-bats at that spot. And and they all probably will make it in some form because of how strong they are. The two that stand out are the freshmen, Jacob Berry, who's been the DH most of the year but can play third base, and Daniel Susak, the catcher. Uh, one of them is going to probably be Pac-12 freshman of the year. One of them could be Pac-12 player of the year. Uh, combined, I believe they have 27 home runs. Uh, Arizona had never had two freshmen in the same season with double-digit home runs before this year, and they've never had a freshman with more than 11, more than 10 home runs since Shelly Duncan had 20 in 1999. And that was back with the the, the stronger bats, where where you could you could foul off a pitch and it would go out of the park. Um, the, the bats are a lot deader now. So these guys, they're sluggers, but they both hit over 340. Jacob Berry hit 371, 64 RBIs, which is tops in the Pac-12. Set a bunch of freshman records. Both of them set a bunch of either school or uh, total season or Pac-12 game freshman records. And the, the, the really unique thing about this is neither of them are really supposed to be here. If COVID hadn't caused Major League Baseball to go to a five-round draft, last year both of them would have been drafted and both of them probably would have signed but through you know through the the badness of the pandemic Arizona benefited in that respect and got these two guys and they've been tremendous unfortunately they're both already 20 or they will be 20 this summer so they're only going to be here for two years because they become draft eligible next year but it's not just those guys the first baseman Brandon Bossier who he, he had a 5-for-42 slump and then had nine consecutive at-bats this past weekend where he either got a hit or reached base. And so he's getting hot at the right moment. The center fielder, Dante Williams, has about a 500 on-base percentage. He can hit a lot, draws a lot of walks, and is just such a catalyst. Kobe Kato at second base, he can he can hit it all over the field. He's, just, he's one of those scrappy guys, and you put him all over the lineup. Ryan Holgate, right field, is strong. Nick McClary playing shortstop. He's a number nine hitter hitting like 340. And he, he, he just doesn't have bad at-bats. And their entire lineup 
is stacked. Even third baseman Tony Bullard, who's taken over that role, he was just Pac-12 Player of the Week this past week. He went 6-for-12 the last weekend of the season, had three home runs, uh, six RBIs. He had a two-home run, five-RBI game on Saturday with a grand slam. He suddenly discovered his stroke. Uh, the, the, the only place where they're – they have any sort of question mark on offense right now is left field because Mac Bingham, who'd been the primary guy there, broke a hamate bone in his left hand uh, the last Pac-12 series of the season at Oregon State. So he's had surgery. They don't know if they'll be able to get him back at any point this year. But they're actually so deep in the outfield that they've got maybe five guys that could start. And that includes a guy named Chase Davis, who's a true freshman, who's another one of those guys who wouldn't be here without the draft. Uh, he's what you would refer to as a five-star prospect for college, for baseball. They, they don't really do it that way. But he started one game this year, and that was the, uh, this last weekend of the season because they can't get him into the lineup because they're so deep in the outfield. Well, that's, that sounds like the whole batting lineup, Brian. It sounds like there's a lot of uh, – it's going to be a lot of runs, hopefully, to be scored on uh, the Arizona side. Um, thanks again for joining us. I want to kind of – Maybe uh, get your take as we're heading into the postseason, uh, the regionals and beyond for this Arizona team. Uh, kind of two-part question. Arizona will be successful this postseason because of blank, or Arizona will end up disappointing this postseason because of blank? Uh, the answer is pitching for both of them. It's it's really going to matter with how they do that. Uh, it's they, they, they have the occasional game where the, the hitting is not as crisp, but that is going to be the exception rather than the rule. It's a matter of whether or not their pitching holds up. And uh, the two primary starters, Garrett Irvin, the lefty, and Chase Silseth, the righty, combined they only have lost two games all season. Um, both of them didn't have the best outing the last weekend of the season, uh, though it, it, it wasn't too big of a deal because the game's kind of didn't matter with being non-conference and it, it allowed them to get some extra rest for the postseason. Uh, it, it, it's really actually more than anything, the bullpen and that it holds up because they've had games this year where their bullpen has gone like five, six, seven innings scoreless where they're striking out 10, 12 guys. And in 2016, when they went on that run, they did it with six pitchers. Six pitchers was really all they used with maybe the occasional jump in here and there. And they're probably nine, ten deep on the pitching side. Uh, in college baseball, you get only 11-point scholarships that you can split up and, and divide out over your team. Arizona uses about eight of those on their pitching staff. And so when you think about how strong their offense is, but that the bulk of the money that they have for scholarships is going to pitching – that's where it's really going to be dependent. So if their pitching is good and is as effective as it's been this season, they will make it to the Super Regionals and host the winner of the Oxford Regional uh, that Ole Miss is the number 12 seed. Sounds like baseball. It's Major League Baseball, college baseball. It always comes down to pitching. Brian Peterson, AZ Desert Storm. You can find him at on Twitter, at RealBJP. Um, he's a good follower there, all the information. Brian, is there anything other than just – baseball coverage you can expect to see from you on desert swarm over the next handful of days well tomorrow uh the all the teams will have some media availability via zoom and so uh, we're gonna get a little bit more insight into the this grand canyon team that arizona has already seen but that is is really going to make the most of this first opportunity and grand canyon basketball made its first ncaa appearance 
earlier this year, and didn't. And they were able to have some fans at the game out in Indianapolis, but this time uh, with High Corbett Field allowed to go 100% capacity, which is about 9,500, there's going to be a huge crowd for this first game on Friday night. Grand Canyon has a tremendous fan base, and they're only two hours away. Even though it's the summer, I'm expecting them to bring a large contingent of fans. I've already seen that at least 1,600 all-session passes had been sold as of this afternoon. I'm putting the over-under for that first game, the, the first Arizona game, on Friday night at about 5,800, which would be more than they had for any game in 2012, which was the last time they hosted. The uh, record for a crowd at High Corbett for college baseball was in 2016. It was 8,067 against ASU, but that was with students in town and it being ASU. I don't know if it's going to be that big, but I'm expecting a really big crowd, and I think it's just going to be a great atmosphere this weekend. Let's say, hope it's a great atmosphere with a few Arizona wins that they get out of that one in advance on. Brian Peterson, AZ Does It Tourm, thanks for joining us on Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. That's Brian Peterson, and we come back softball. Welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. And to talk about Arizona softball on their College World Series run, we have Ryan Keller here from azdesertswarm.com. Ryan is actually in Oklahoma City with the team right now. Ryan, welcome to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks for having me. So Arizona softball being in the College World Series is not newsworthy in that this is, what, the 24th time Mike Condre has gotten them there? Like It's a, a somewhat regular occurrence. It's always a big deal, though, just the team was good this season. They weren't great throughout the regular season. How did this team get to the College World Series? Well, I think it, it's kind of important to, to just give a little bit of context. I mean, it is really interesting. Like you say, it's not really you know newsworthy when Arizona softball makes the Women's College World Series. But and and you know when they returned all their star seniors, like that was that became the standard for this season. And for a while there. You know they were the, they didn't weren't really playing that well. Like they obviously were the number eleven seed. They're not really supposed to make it this far, but um, it's just, it's just kind of it's been kind of interesting that the season. You know, if you ask them or anyone who follows the program pretty closely, the, the regular season itself was kind of a disappointment. But all that matters now is that you're in uh, Oklahoma, and, and whatever happens from here is all that matters. And and Ryan, uh, you know, I think the game we're recording this on June second. The game is this coming Thursday, I believe, against Alabama. Can you tell us anything about them? Yeah, that's a uh, really interesting matchup because Arizona has actually played them four times over the last two seasons. They've each won two. Um, Alabama beat Arizona. They actually eliminated them from the Women's College World Series in 2019. And both teams have a lot of players from from those those teams still on their roster. So. It, while it is two years ago, it, 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 I think, it, in, in my opinion, it's, it's pretty relevant. Um, but uh, Alabama's, uh, you know, they've got Montana Fouts. Who's, she throws in the low 70s. She's one of the best pitchers in the country. Um, their offense is, is, like, when Arizona played Arkansas in, in Supers, that was a team that was known kind of all or nothing. Arkansas is basically the opposite. They hit for a high average. They steal bases. They've only hit, like, 37 homers all year. But, you know, they're rolling in here on an 18-game winning streak. Um, you know, they won the SEC tournament, which is very difficult to do. And uh, so far, they haven't lost the game in the postseason. So uh, they're, both teams are coming in on a high note, which obviously you have to be in order to make it to this stage. 
Yeah, it certainly seems like Arizona, even to rally to get to this part of the tournament as well, I know they weren't exactly dominant in the opening weekend, but it is, you just have to win these games, right? It's survive in advance. And it seems like, I mean, are they playing at a higher level right now? Do you think they are starting to peak at the right time? Well, offensively, for sure. I mean, there were times um, in the regular season when they would play ranked teams and their offense, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd run rule teams at home, then they'd go on the road to Oregon or Washington or even Arizona State, and their offense would just disappear. Um, and it was really encouraging that, you know, they, in one of the games against Arkansas, they scored 10 runs. Um, the other one, they scored four. And then the weekend before that, they were at home um, against a, a good Ole Miss team, and they scored 12 runs in both games against Ole Miss. So, you know, you, you combine the Ole Miss games and the Arkansas games, um, you know, Arizona's averaging nine runs per game over the last four, and those are all against SEC pitching, and that's, you know, regarded as the best conference in college softball, depending on who you ask. And then obviously Alabama's um, in the SEC too. So offensively, I think I think that's a correct assessment. And you could you could say that Arizona's peaking at the right time. And does it help too that they're not playing Pac-12 schools? I know like their record wasn't as good as a lot of people thought. Maybe they should be, but then obviously the Pac-12 was pretty dang good this last season. Well, part of it, too, was they, they had a very um, imbalanced schedule as far as home and away. Like, they played all the best Pac-12 teams on the road, and they played all the weak teams at home. So it was kind of a situation where they never got – they always got every team's best shot. They never got a team in Hillenbrand Stadium that was rattled or, you know, was kind of off their game. Um, so I think that had something to do with it. And then just, you know, it's, not, it's never been a talent issue. It's, it's just – it's an execution issue. And it just seems like whatever clicked in the postseason, maybe it's all the experience that they have, whatever it was, they're just they're hitting the ball uh, so well right now. But Montana Fouts in Alabama, that's going to be a, a huge test. I mean, this girl's you know struck out at least ten batters and eight straight starts. I mean, she's she's electric. So we'll see. I mean, it's, you're coming in hot, but uh, you know you're facing a pitcher who's arguably the best in the country. Yeah, listening to. Um... Head coach Mike Candrea talked to a friend of the pod, Justin Spears. He was saying that Alabama is a team that doesn't beat itself and they'll single you to death. Uh, you know, you talked right. about they don't have a lot of the power hitters. You know, in, in your mind, what is there something you need to do to go into this game and, and beat Alabama? Well, that, it's kind of, I mean, it, it all, like the most important thing in postseason is, is just timely hitting. I mean, if you look at when Alabama beat Arizona in 2019 in Oklahoma City, they had two hits that entire game. But they had two walks in one inning, and then um, Bailey Hemphill, who's still on their team, hit a, a two-run double, and that was one of only two hits they had all game, and they won 2 nothing. So, I mean, it's, you know, you can't leave runners on base. Arizona's been a great defensive team this year, and Alabama is a team that puts the ball in play a lot, and they run, they, they're aggressive on the base path. So, you know, being being – consistent on defense like they've been all season that's that's big but i mean it, it really might just come down to how many runs can you score against montana fouts i mean you know they only gave up two runs to alabama last time they played them in oklahoma city and but they got shut out so um that, to me that's that's the key if you can get to montana fouts and and put put a little bit of doubt into her mind i mean she's a junior now and they faced her the, in 2019 she was only a freshman but just, I think it'd be really important maybe to come out in the first two innings and either score or at least get some loud contact and kind of ignite your offense. Yeah, you know, you kind of talked about uh, Adam was saying, is Arizona peaking at the right time, or is it just maybe that it was a challenge in the Pac-12? Do you uh, do you think that Arizona just – which Arizona is going to show up, or were they always good? It was just a challenge of the Pac-12 this season in your mind. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the Pac-12 is definitely good. I mean, like Arizona played Washington on the road and lost both games. They had, they did. I mean, you know, when they played Florida, they played Florida State. I know that's not a Pac-12 team, but they played them on the road, and that was tough. I think it was just more to do with where they played the regular season games. Like if you play, if Arizona played, you know, Washington and Oregon at Hillenbrand as opposed to on the road, I think those series could go a lot differently. I mean, they went two and four against those teams. You know, maybe it's. Four, uh, four and two, or three and three, or something like that. I, I put more stock into that, especially because it's so. It's like Hillenbrand Stadium is a great place to hit. The ball carries, the infield's bouncy, the batter's eye uh, provides a nice background for the hitters. So um, I, I tend to believe it was more of, you know, they just didn't, they weren't on their game on the road, and that's why the Arkansas series, uh, the Super Regional, it was such a huge development because the team showed that they can go on the road and put up a lot of runs and beat. A, a really good, a really great team, and so now, obviously, the, the hope is that that'll carry over into Oklahoma City. Say so with a sport like this, softball, baseball, whatever it is, sometimes like momentum is only as good as your next game out. Sometimes your next starting pitcher, and certainly it seems like Arizona may be at a slight disadvantage that way. That we were talking about uh, Alabama started, but at the same time, Arizona is no slouch. I do notice though in the bracket too, if Arizona gets past Alabama, there's a decent chance they match up with UCLA in their next game. So there may be no escaping the Pac-12. But do you get the feeling this is a very confident team after what happened last weekend with the way they rallied and the fact that they did go on the road and play well, which is something they hadn't actually done all season absolutely i mean you know if you had to if you could gauge you know a confidence level i think they might be close to eight or nine right now which is probably the highest they've they've been all season it's just like you said though it's it's about the game that's in front of you i mean they could have all this momentum going in and then get to a two or three hit shutout against Montana fouts again and all of a sudden your back's against the wall and you're in the loser's bracket and all that momentum you built up is gone um but so I guess it does it does kind of depend on where you stand on how real you think momentum is but I think just because of how experienced this Arizona team is you know they they most of their starting lineup has played in Oklahoma City before they've, they've faced this pitcher before so I don't think they're going to be surprised by anything it's just a matter of can they come through when it matters most so, Ryan, you know, going into this game, for, for a lot of Arizona fans, they haven't had a chance to watch a lot of games over the season. Uh, who are a couple of the players that you view as very critical on the Arizona Wildcats to watch in this game for them to be successful? Well, Janelle Mayonio, um, you know, she's only a redshirt freshman. She's the leadoff hitter. She's hitting, she was the Pac-12 batting champion. I mean, she's such a great slapper. She rarely strikes out. If she puts the ball in play, it's, you know, way more likely than not that it's going to be a hit. And um, when she's on base, so many good things happen. Not only is she fast and can she steal bases, but then you look at who's hitting behind her and you have the home run hitters and Jesse Harper and Deja Mulipola and Charlize Palacios right there. So she's always a really important player. Um, You know, obviously, you know, we we have to mention Jesse Harper. I mean, she's one more homer away from from tying Katiana Mauga's all-time Arizona record and only four shy of the NCAA record. I mean, it'll be really tough to to get there with um, such great pitching in Oklahoma city, but it, it's a possibility. So you have to watch that, but then it's just, I mean, you, you can go down the line. I mean, Charlie's Palacios is closing in on 20 home runs. Deja, I think has 20 home runs. Deja Malipola has 20 home runs. Um, and uh, Alyssa Palomino Cardoza, their center fielder has been an all American before uh, Raina Cronco, their number two hitter has been a PAC 12 batting champion before as well. Uh, I mean, their their lineup is just stacked. Carly Scoopin's a great freshman from Tucson. She's got nine homers and has really caught fire here in the postseason. It's 
I mean, their whole lineup is so stacked, and that's why the expectations were so high this year. And, and pitching, pitching's kind of been a, a, a little bit of a different story as far as it's been kind of unpredictable. Um, you know, Alyssa Denham, Hannah Bone, and Mariah Lopez are the three pitchers, and they've each had some really great moments in the postseason. But they've also had throughout the season some some moments where it almost looked like they were going to fall out of the rotation um, just because they had been struggling. And I think part of the reason they've been able to bounce back and, and, and really be uh, hitting their stride here is just because of their experience. Um, so in the circle, it's all, like we know Alabama is going to throw Montana fouls. It'll be interesting to see who um, Arizona throws. I mean, Hannah Bowen would be my guess. She's a very uh, – we've never seen her pitch before. You're in for a treat because she's a very competitive pitcher. She'll go right at hitters, and then if she gets a big strikeout or a big out, um, she, she shows a lot of emotion. So um, she's really fun to watch. Maybe with Fouts in the circle on the other side, a little bit more extra motivation to bring the best stuff possible in a very intense game. But it sounds like Ryan Kellep here, AZ Desert Storm here. Arizona's the 11 seed playing the 3 seed, but Arizona's probably better than an 11 seed, but also slightly inconsistent. It's just this is what happens in the College World Series. It's going to be a great matchup is what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hit here, an air there. Um, you know, it's, I think at this point, all the teams are pretty even. Yeah. Some might have a better pitcher than others. Some, some teams have better lineups, but you know, all the numbers that they've put up this season, you can throw that out the window. I mean, all that matters is you beat the team in front of you and one bad performance or one great performance. And and that's your season. Definitely. Well, hopefully for Arizona, the season continues on with a few more wins, at least Ryan Kellapier, AZ Desert Storm. You can follow him at our Kellapier on the Twitter machine. Ryan, thanks for joining Wildcat Radio 2.0. Yeah, thanks for having me. So thanks again to Ryan Kellapier, AZ Desert Storm, for giving us all that information about Arizona softball in the College World Series, a chance to bring home another trophy. Brett, that's between softball and baseball. Those are teams that are moving on. I mean, I guess baseball is still in Tucson for the foreseeable future, but there's a few other people who are going to be in Tucson over the coming weekend, coming weeks and so. The dead period for recruiting is officially over. Arizona can bring players on campus. I know football is going to have some visitors. It's been rumored that they're going to have some guys on campus. Basketball can start to have some people on campus. It's like, it's just, you know, nature is healing. Well, they can officially be on campus. I think yeah, a few times like, football, yeah. some football recruits maybe you know found Arizona Stadium stuff, unlocked, yeah. Yeah. and they could just wander around. But yeah, uh, the the rumors are there's a lot of good, uh, you know, potential Wildcats coming to visit. Always a good sign. Some fairly large names in terms we're of we're talking ratings. about football right now, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to football. Yeah. Um, so I think you know there's probably a good. St- good chance of maybe getting a commit or two over the weekend if it's if it's one of those big big weekends where they try to make a push i know there's some uh players that are teammates with already existing uh uh you know commitments on arizona's roster which that can't hurt in terms of their chances and we'll kind of see how it goes yeah and certainly for this football for the football coaching staff the same thing for tommy lloyd in basketball too their first like full recruiting cycles will be interesting to see how they can do now jed fish and his staff are still working from the idea that the program they are leading has lost 12 straight games. You know, most most people don't see them being too competitive. I think I saw Pro Football Focus gave them a 0% chance of winning the Pac-12 championship game, but also predicted them for like four wins this season. So I feel like if you're a UVA fan, you're like, on the one hand, that's bad. On the other, hey, four wins. You know, But that's just where the program's at right now. Like Jed Fish and his staff are selling themselves, and they're selling their vision of Arizona football, not 
what Arizona football is or is proven to be. So it's curious to see what type of players they can get to commit. And of course, commitments don't they have, doesn't mean they've signed or anything, you know. But still, that momentum—it's like a snowball; it can build on itself. Because if you get a few big name guys or a few guys that are probably better than many think Arizona should be getting, then they can attract others and others, and it just rolls. And then you have that positive momentum, which is you need good players to turn this thing around, and that's how it starts. Yeah, and this this will be a pretty good test of you know we talked about how uh, Jed Fish and staff have kind of won the narrative game so far as you can when you have a 12 game losing streak and kind of getting social media buzz. Uh, you know, there was there, there's the Gronk stuff at the, the spring football game. There was actually a pretty great video this weekend they put out of some of the summer arrivals from the incoming freshmen and some of the transfers coming in. You know, it's now would be a good time to capitalize on that, and then hopefully you got to show up and win some games to kind of build that momentum. But we'll we'll see if there's if there's any fruits that are born from all of that uh, those that effort in social media and building the buzz. Yeah, and the nice thing, kind of what you're saying is, it'll be nice to win some games to help build off that. But they don't have to win nine games this season, I don't think. You know, Jed Fish and what they're doing, it's no one's expecting them to be great. But if they're improved and they're having fun doing it. That sells early on because they can convince a lot of these players that, hey, you can be a part. Like, we're going to turn this around. You're going to be a part of it. You know, you're going to get to play, and you're going to get to help build this program to where it wants to be, where they want it to be. So that's, But that's how you capitalize on the buzz until you can win some games, right? You do it on yeah. the, with the spring game. You do it with your coaching hires. You get it by getting some transfers from some of the local powers, you know, powerhouse high schools and programs. You get them to go to Tucson. You bring visitors on campus who have connections and this and that, and you just get win after win after win in the off season and then hope that at some point that's just to translate to wins during the regular season. Yeah. And you know, I don't think anybody's expecting nine wins. I think you're hoping to, in terms of momentum, you're hoping to be competitive in nine games, at least this year, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully we're, I, I know you and I are pulling for at least four so we can uh, get that case of beer from Ronnie Sopel. That would be great. We'll have to have Ronnie on again sometime soon. You know, yeah. See how he's feeling about that that beer bet because maybe now after all the transfers and stuff he's feeling less good. But you know, like you said, a lot of them are on campus now, so Arizona's football team is going to be more complete. I mean, geez, the first game is just a three months away, basically. So you know, we're getting closer to the true beginning of the Jedfish era, and of course, we're going to talk about all that happens between now and then with football. Probably not a lot of things, but if there's any recruiting news, we will definitely break it down here on Wildcat Radio 2.0. Otherwise, thanks for listening to this show. As always, we appreciate everyone. Make sure you follow us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can get us. Make sure you subscribe to us because we're going to be producing lots of content, 12-pack radio, Bryant and the gang as well, coming on this channel. Follow us on Twitter, at Wildcat Radio AZ. But otherwise, thank you to Brian Peterson and Ryan Kellep here of AZ Desert Swarm for sharing their knowledge about baseball and softball as those two teams go into their respective tournament weekends. We're hoping to have nice long tournament runs for both of them. Women are looking for a College World Series victory now, and baseball is starting with their regional at High Cobra Field. We'll talk about everything that happens with them and anything else in Wildcat sports next week. But until then, remember to bear down. Bear down. <laughs>